You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast, and today we are welcoming Carly Tulik, a pediatric speech and language pathologist, to the podcast. Now, that might sound like a little bit of a mouthful, but I want to share with you a little tiny bit about what a speech and language pathologist actually is and does, so you know a little bit about what we're going to cover today. So an SLP, as they're called, provides speech and language assessment and treatment for children of all abilities. So Carly uses her Instagram platform, We Talkers, to educate parents about the importance of early intervention with kids and also teaches parents how to support their child's language development, play, and early literacy skills. In our podcast episode today, Carly's going to share with us about the early milestones and development of speech. And guys, it blows my mind that there are speech and language pathologists that work with newborns in the NICU, like blows my mind. We're also going to learn about the red flags that you as mom can look out for in terms of sort of delayed speech or missed milestones for your child, and also some ways that you can foster those language skills at home and really develop and grow them. And Carly is one of the most beautiful souls I've ever been able to interview on this podcast. She is so kind and sweet and approachable and is so incredibly passionate about what she does. Can't wait for you guys to hear this episode, but first let's hear the iTunes review of the week. This review comes from Brienne N-Y-Q-U-I-S-T. It's titled Impressive. As a social worker who is a new mama, I truly appreciate this podcast for bringing in professionals to talk about the issues women face. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for this review, Brianne. It's so cool to hear that, you know, colleagues in the field and peers in the field tune in and listen to this podcast. So thank you so much for being here. And now let's hear from Carly. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Carly, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. I'm so excited to pick your brain. I follow your Instagram page and the platform that you're building and so excited to have you with us. Yeah, thanks, Erica. Um, Same. I'm a big fan of your Instagram account and your podcast, so it is um, really an honor to be here. I'm grateful for the opportunity. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Like building an Instagram platform, I know all the work and all the behind the scenes that goes into, you know, the invisible work of having a platform like that. Mm-hmm. So I know when I see other professionals that have a platform, how passionate they must be about what they do, you know, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I know all the work and time that goes into it. So could you tell me uh, what sparked your passion in speech and language therapy and how you got into this field? Sure. Well, I guess, you know, looking back when I was in like elementary school, I was always kind of matched up as the helper for kids with special needs. And that just kind of came naturally to me. Um, So I feel like it goes way back even to then. But then when I got to university, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I had no idea. And I took um, a career decision making class, which Um, I'm so thankful I even had that opportunity because it really helped guide me to um, my strengths and what might be a good fit for me. And speech language pathologist came up as as a career choice and I had really never heard of it. So I um, job shadowed um, a therapist working with adults and I just loved it. It combines really um, helping people, but also like science, um, background is incorporated into it. And 
I just found it really interesting. And as soon as I switched over my major, um, I took a course in language development and that just absolutely fascinated me and yeah, kept going on that path. Yeah. 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 Wow. Like, mm-hmm. so I refer to a lot of speech and language therapists in our clinic that we work in. So we work with children and adolescents and families, and I tend to do more of like the parenting work and adult work. Mm-hmm. Um, but we refer a lot and work in conjunction with OTs and speech and language because of all sorts of different reasons, really unique to each family. But mm-hmm. for those who don't have experience and don't know, what is a speech and language therapist? Okay, so we are our official title is really speech language pathologist, but I do use speech therapist because I think people it just kind of simplifies it, and speech language pathologist sounds kind of intense. Mm-hmm. But then I learned um, from some of my friends that also teach on Instagram that in some parts of the U.S., a speech therapist is kind of a person that has lesser training. They'll use that title, so really will go by good to know. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if it's the same in Toronto, but, um, so we work with people throughout the lifespan, anything that has to do with communication. So speech language pathologists are working with babies, even in the NICU who need support with eating and swallowing all the way up to patients who are like at end of life, like have dementia um, or Parkinson's, um, have had strokes and that kind of thing. And then every age group along the way. And then I specialize in working with children who are ages birth to five. And so the children I work with have a really wide range of abilities um, in terms of their communication, meaning that some of them may be completely nonverbal and they communicate through other modalities, even such as um, using pictures and sign language and all types of things that help them communicate in other ways. These are like children with special needs. Mm-hmm. And then we work with clients who are very verbal, but they might just need help with saying a few speech sounds correctly. Hmm. And a lot of people are coming to see me because their child um, isn't starting to speak. So maybe they're around one, one and a half, two years old, and they aren't, um, they aren't speaking or they're not speaking very clearly. And that's Hmm. a lot of the work um, that I do. And also a lot with preschool age um, kids that are you know, needing to help improve their communication skills before they start school. Mm-hmm. Like my mind is blown right now, like from birth in the NICU, like help me yes. out. What? I'm yes. so well, like, wow. Yes. Well, you know, as speech pathologists, we kind of similar to mental health, you kind of will go into a specialty. So one specialty within our field would be feeding and swallowing. So mm. infant babies that are having difficulty um, with with feeding because they were born prematurely or there's some other kind of special need, we'll work with a speech pathologist to learn how to eat from a bottle. Yeah. Wow. So it really has to do with like the muscles and the function of those muscles in the face kind of, is that a part of it? Yes. Yes. So yeah, we study, you know, the anatomy and physiology, um, you know, learning, babies learning how to suck, how to use their, their lips, tongue, and jaw to coordinate this complex skill of feeding. Mm. Um, another way we might work with babies, if the baby's born without hearing, we will work on a cochlear implant team um, to help educate the family around development of speech, language, and communication skills. So those are, and then we do a lot of, you know, a lot of my work on Instagram and in my community, I speak at a lot of mom and baby work, um, groups. It's talking about prevention because we know that talking with babies is so important with building connections in their brain. Mm-hmm. And there's so much parents can do in that first year of life. And it comes naturally to, to most moms to, you know, speak to their baby, talk to their baby, sing to their baby, but it, it doesn't come naturally to everyone. Mm-hmm. And we're really looking at this in terms of brain development. It's like nutrition for the brain. So yeah. as a speech pathologist, we have to kind of get that message out there. 
Um, well, it's really interesting because you're really touching on some of the basis of maternal mental health and and therefore infant mental health. Because mm-hmm. if mom is, you know, struggling with postpartum depression or some other, um, you know, mental health challenge postpartum, mm-hmm. it's really hard for her to engage baby in that way. And therefore, infant's mental health, um, you know, suffers with mom's mental health, essentially. So th- that's part of my advocating as well in to in developing and and fostering that bond between mom and baby for for both of them for both of their um, health and well-being right right and as I mentioned just before we hopped on um, for the podcast that's what I was doing at the mental health clinic was helping um, I worked at a mental health clinic for the listeners and I the babe the children were delayed because of this like moms with you know significant mental health needs themselves mm. and um then the child was quite delayed in talking because they weren't getting that basic um early interaction that kids need to thrive mm. so mm. we're helping them catch up we're working with the kids to help catch up on their communication milestones and working with the moms to show them what they can do um, Mm, to help. So interesting. So interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how much our like mental health and our attachment with baby is intertwined in so many different ways developmentally. It's, uh, Mm -hmm. it's really fascinating. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm so curious, like, you had said when children start to talk or should be starting to form words is when you get an influx of kind of people coming in. We see that a lot at our um, like therapy clinic. We see an influx around like two or so when children should really be kind of stringing more words together or particularly when they start JK and maybe the teacher can't understand the words that they're using or they don't have as many words as maybe some of their peers. And mm-hmm. there's more of like a, a teacher or someone else outside the family has noticed it to bring it to their attention, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. can we talk a little bit about um, those developmental stages and then we can go into some of the things to be mindful of or some of the warning signs? Yeah, sure. So the first thing, well, really communication and language development is starting even when the baby's in the womb. So our babies can hear us talking even then. And then when once they're born, um, their brain is already making connections just by hearing us talk. So in that early on stage from birth to three months, we're really looking for um, is is our baby make, starting to make cooing sounds? So those are the vowel sounds, like those cute little like, oh, when when um, baby starts to kind of recognize our voice and they'll start to smile at people. Those are some of the first communication milestones we look for. And then we'll move on to the four to six month range and we'll notice our baby's eyes are moving in the directions of, of sounds. So being able to hear is necessary for speech and language to develop. So that's why it's critical. We make sure our baby has the um, newborn hearing screening because that can catch um, problems right from the start. Um, And then they'll start to make more complex sounds and they'll start to babble usually around six to nine months. So we'll hear like, ba, 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 ma, 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 that kind of thing. Hmm. And then around seven months to a year, we'll notice the longer string strings of babbling. And it's a really exciting time because we'll see, you know what, our baby is starting to understand actual words we're saying. So when we say things that they've heard a lot, like dada or ball, milk, up, we're noticing, wow, they're understanding those words. So that's mm-hmm. something we can look for even before our baby's speaking because they'll understand um, before they can speak. And then they'll start to use gestures to communicate with us. They'll wave bye-bye. They'll reach to be picked up. They'll start shaking their head, yes or no. So it's pretty fascinating. All this development is happening before our baby's even one. And I think when people think about speech and language, they just think about talking. Mm -hmm. So I really want to bring awareness to kind of like all these things that are happening necessary steps before the baby um, or child will talk. I remember when I was a first-time mom with my firstborn, um, the first time I said, go get the ball to my son. And he went and picked up the ball. And I was like, yeah. wait, when, yeah. when did that happen? Like, when did that connection with the yeah. item happen? And it was just kind of like this gross spurt that happened overnight. And he 
he could take these direction on these things that like he definitely couldn't articulate back to me at that point. And I was so floored by how much he understood. Yeah. And yes, it's so fascinating. And it it came from you saying ball and ball over and over, making those connections in his brain. And yeah, as they get older and they've had a lot of repetition, they start to to do it on them on their own. So that's mm, fascinating. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then first words is start to happen around 12 months. Is that roughly the time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll see usually one or two words by 12 months where it's like, hi, dog, mama, dada, uh-oh. And those don't need to sound perfect. I know a lot of parents are like, oh, they said ba for ball. That's great. That will come. They don't need to stress about having the sounds said perfectly. Even kids that are two are still, it's still developmentally appropriate that they'll have a lot of speech sound errors. You want to be focused on the meaning. Like, do they know, you know, the meaning of things and, and are they putting a word approximation with the item? Hmm. Interesting. So I have my middle son, Mm-hmm. He So my first son, I feel like really, well, he was an only child. He was talked to like probably nonstop. Yeah. <laughs> like he, his language, I feel like came in very quickly. Um, mm-hmm. And still, he's still like, I feel like advanced for his age in terms of what he can articulate. And then my middle son, um, it was interesting because his understanding was there, mm-hmm. but he had a really hard time getting the words out. Mm-hmm. And this actually lended to some challenging behaviors uh, for yeah. a little while in our home, probably around his second-ish birthday, sometime between two, two and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would be some pretty significant tantrums, um, the odd like headbang even out of just sheer frustration yeah. Yeah. Um, that he could not, like he wanted to tell us so badly what was going on but he couldn't get the words out. So can you talk to us a little bit about, um, like, you know, I'm sure you see this behavior kind of correlate with speech at this time. Yes. Yes, there's a recent um, study that came out that's talking about increased um, tantrums with children who can't communicate well, with toddlers who can't communicate well. And someone was talking about this online and someone left the comment like, we don't need a research study to tell us this. Like, it's obvious because imagine not being able to communicate, right, when you're when you're um, understanding so well, like your son. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we, we do. And, and we 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 do see this and we try to, as much as we can, give the child another way to communicate, whether that's through teaching them a few basic signs. Um, we even will use pictures, you know, having a little picture board of their favorite things that they might even be able to point to. Mm. This is for kids who, you know, we time goes on and it's really not clicking. It sounds like your son eventually was able to start saying the words. Yeah, it did over time. But like in retrospect, when I look back, um, it could have been helpful. I don't know that we at at the beginning made the association that the behavior was due to the like language, like wanting Mm -hmm. to communicate. Over time, we learned that and I think maybe grew an understanding for it and we kind of pulled ourselves out of it a little bit. Um, But in retrospect, having some of those practical skills, I think that he learned to like take me by the hand and like show me what what it was he wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, But even now, so he just turned three and we just went for his three um, year checkup with his pediatrician mm-hmm. and he stutters at the beginning of his words a mm-hmm. lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was new. My other son didn't do that. My one and a half year old is just learning words. So um, I asked her and she said that that's actually quite common and he's sort of at the peak for a stutter with mm-hmm. his words at this time. So, but even still, I kind of see that communication, like that that eagerness to get it out, but is he's not quite caught up with articulating it, that it, he's stuttering it out. And uh, he's better at it now, but mm-hmm. it still takes him a little bit of extra effort, I feel like, if that makes sense. Yes, yes. This question comes through on my Instagram a lot. And, it, and your pediatrician is correct that there's it is a normal part of speech and language development that it will seem kind of like they're stuttering because they're kind of buying themselves a little time, right? They like your son may know what he wants to say. He starts and then he's like, can't get it all together. So he'll kind of repeat the first part of the word or repeat the word 
my oldest daughter did this as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the best thing you can do is just kind of give them a little bit of time, which is hard when like, I know you have two other kids. It's like, you don't have time to just sit there. Yeah. And well, he's, like, yeah, like, and, and I'm content to do that if that's what I should be doing, you know, like that's totally, it's totally okay. It was more yeah. just like, I know that one of the things we'll get to later in this episode is like early intervention is also important. So I spoke to the pediatrician right. about it, like just to make sure that we weren't missing anything, right. but, um, but yeah, he definitely does. And I find like when he's tired or when he's sick, that stutter can drag on even an extra little bit longer that I'm like, oh, okay. Like th- there were a couple of moments where he just kind of really got stuck on it, like, you know, yeah. for like a little a little while. But the pediatrician said, you know, it's, if it doesn't seem to be bothering him and he's not self-conscious about it, he doesn't notice, like I, I'm sure like, you know, he'll probably grow out of it. And, and sure enough, it comes and goes depending on kind of how excited he is or what's going mm-hmm. on, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting. Just different children, even within our own family, have had two very different speech and language experiences so far. And the third, I'm sure, will be even that much more different. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's such variety. I see that with my girls too, um, between the two of them. And yeah, no, no two kids are exactly alike, right? Yeah. Hmm. So, okay. So if the stutter is like a common thing, um, getting mm-hmm. the words out at the beginning is, is a common thing. Can you help me understand and, and the listeners understand um, like what is average or are we looking for in terms of like, you know, we've got these milestones and these markers a little bit mm-hmm. and maybe we'll con- we can continue a little bit more maybe in the ages, but, and what are the things that we should be mindful of that are not uh, like outside of the norm and we should be sort of thinking about pursuing some some speech and language for. Sure. So do you want me to start like with babies or would you rather have me go? I'll, I'll, it's pretty fast. So maybe I'll just go over a couple of the baby ones if that's okay. okay. Yeah, of course. So from birth to, these are kind of some red flags we would look for. Um, and if, if this, if you're listening and this is you, you know, it's just something to discuss further. I'm not saying there's like a major issue. It's just, this is something we would want to maybe explore further, um, with our, with our, um, pediatrician. So from birth to three months, if you see they haven't developed like a social smile, you know, Erica, like when you look at the baby and they smile back and they love seeing your face, if you notice your baby doesn't have the smile, that would be a red flag. If around six to nine months, um, they're not babbling, um, that would be another red flag we would want to look for. And then if by 12 months, they're really not using gestures like pointing and waving, um, and they're not making that many consonant sounds, this would be another red flag um, Mm -hmm. that we would look for. Mm -hmm. And then if from like seven months and even into the one year um, age range, like one year to 18 months, if you think, you know what, they're really not understanding what I'm saying, that would be something we would want to look into too. And then if by 18 months, they're not really saying any words or saying just a few words, this is something, um, again, that would be a red flag. And then by two years old, if they're not yet saying two words together, um, like mommy up or all done or daddy go, things like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that there's some wiggle room in those um, milestones, you know, and I know for that sure. for moms yeah. who maybe feel anxious, like, um, you know, babies typically walk, let's say around 12 months, but if the baby's at 15 months and hasn't walked yet, but is showing normal signs of development and, you know, and hitting all the other milestones and things like that, then mom can be reassured that, you know, baby's just taking a little bit longer to walk. Maybe he's an only child and he's being carried everywhere, <laughs> you know, or something yes, like that. Totally. Um, but there is wiggle room. And then, so it's really when we start to get to more of like the, the extreme end of the, the, the milestone kind of age cutoff or whatever, right? Like that. And your pediatrician or whoever's following your child's care, hopefully is catching those things when they're doing those 18 month checklists or the 15 month checklist. I know that my pediatrician does that of all of the different milestones that we should be hitting. And mm-hmm. um, we have, with my youngest, he is 18 months now, but at nine months, he was having reoccurring um, ear infections. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And the reason that we took him in for it, well, for one, they were reoccurring and he was having them nonstop, but like his sleep was affected. Our sleep was affected. Nobody was sleeping because the oh, poor little guy yeah. would go down at nighttime yes. and he would be in so much pain and he would just, you know, be like upset and in pain. It wasn't just like a typical upset, right? Right. So, we just um, went through this too. I know exactly what you're talking about. And they don't want to lay down because it hurts more. Yeah. And like, well, I'm thinking there's got to be something going on like this. We've had constant ear infections now for like a month straight. And we went in and sure enough, he... Uh, he had quite a bit of fluid in his ears and we went, we got mm-hmm. um, referred to a specialist, I guess ear, nose and throat is who mm-hmm. does that. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he had 50% hearing loss yeah. due to the fluid. So mm-hmm. thankfully we caught it early and mm-hmm. uh, got some tubes in and he slept like a champ after that. Oh, good. <laughs> and yeah. And like, and so his language and his words have been coming in, you know, on target now because we, we've cleared up all that kind of underwater noise or whatever it is they describe it as, right? Mm-hmm. So there are lots of, of things that can impact the development of speech, whether it's, you know, um, if we're thinking like, autism and on the autism spectrum or um, things going on with our ears. Um, I'm sure there are probably lots of things. I don't even know them all. You're, you probably know more than I do about the types of things that can impact, right? Yeah, no, those are, those are two big ones though. I just did an Instagram post about that with the ear infections because it can go undetected. Like some kids aren't in pain with the ear infection, so it's not as obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a big one um, where kids will come to see us. And yes, autism for sure. Maybe I can put, um, there's like a parent screener that I could put maybe in your show notes if people are, you know, wondering about that. Um, I would love that. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. I will definitely, I'll have you email it to me and I'll link it in the show notes. Sure. It's, it's, it's interesting. I think about, so I had a friend of mine in mommy group with my first and mm-hmm. um, her son his speech wasn't coming in. Like all of our kids were around the same age and his speech was really delayed at the time. And I think she got a referral to, we call it Grandview Children's Center here. It's our local big um, sort of for under two, two and under, I think, or like under school age, the kind of early interventions for young kids. Mm-hmm. And um, they they kind of said, well, he could be really shy and he could just be like, you know, delayed to come in. Maybe he's like a little bit anxious or, you know, he could be autistic. <laughs> And the mom was like, what? And then like, and it just obviously for any mom who, who struggles with anxiety or any mom just in general, she was like, oh my gosh, like what, what does that mean? And, and so he actually did a, I think it was a group, um, an SLP group Mm -hmm. uh, through this clinic. That's a thing for kids. Yeah. Do you do like groups? Mm-hmm. We do. Mm-hmm. And um, he had great success with it. And uh, his language is like he's back on like, I don't know if it's grade level or age level or how you would kind of rank it. But he mm-hmm. he definitely did develop his speech. And he's just a more reserved, you know, child overall. But um, it's it's scary for moms. Like it's important for us to catch it. It's important for us to be mindful of and do the due diligence of like, asking your pediatrician and seeking out the support. But it's also scary because moms kind of fear what they might get in return, you know, or like you have doctors that don't have bedside manner or like really direct. And that mom was like, what? Like, how do you just throw out autism? Like so nonchalantly, you know? I know. I know. It's, I see this so much and it's, it's really hard. I, I just had a mom friend who has a child that they went in to their, to a pediatrician they had never seen before. And she said within two minutes, he said, I think your child has autism. And she was so thrown off because she's like, you're not even getting to know us. Like, how Mm. can you say that? Um, but at the same time, like the doctors are trying to identify early. So they don't want to just like beat around the bush. Like they're there to help, but yeah, I know, I know. like they're missing the bedside manner sometimes. <laughs> I know. And and like it's it's an interesting also being a provider and a practitioner. It's it's interesting because um if if it is you want to get early interventions, you want to do your ABA therapy, you want to get like are they called PECs in place? Like yeah. the picture communications yes. if they're really behind. Uh, you want to get like a plan in place. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like 
as a practitioner, let's say, like I work with people who are in crisis a lot, who have self-harming thoughts or who, you know, have suicidal thoughts and stuff. And I can have these conversations because I have them day in and day out. Um, But I'm sure it's super awkward and uncomfortable for people to have these conversations because they don't have these conversations day in and day out. So I'm always having to remind myself of like the perspective of the other person too. Um, And moms obviously are going to be sensitive about their little babes when, when these challenges are coming up. So that's part of what we're doing here is really making sure that moms are educated and knowing the signs and advocating for their children so that they can, you know, ask the questions and be and be mindful, right? Yeah, I love that. And I mean, you're just like such an empathetic person, obviously. Um, just it comes across so well in your podcast. So I love that you're having this resource. And yeah, I feel like I became a much better, you know, provider and clinician when I became a mom because I used to have these hard conversations with people in my early twenties, you know, and I'm not a mom and I, and I was trying my best to be empathetic, um, understand what they're going through while still, you know, do my, do my job. But they're probably like, what is this 23 year old girl telling me about my kids? So now that I'm a mom, I feel like I can relate so much. I can meet them where they are. I understand the challenges Mm -hmm. of being a mom. It's like a whole nother, I mean, your eyes are just opened up to so much more. Oh, for sure. You know, I never, when Mm -hmm. I saw a mom before, I never would have thought like, oh, that's hard. Or, you know, like I would have just been like, oh, she has two kids and one's a newborn. Like now I'm like, oh, wow, I've been there. I know what you're going through. Yeah. Like you're doing a great job. I had a client tell me that like she had this just sense of awe for you know, women and the fact that we bring life into the world and we, you know, care for our babies the way we do. But like, really, when you become a mom, there is just this whole other level of understanding and this, you know, mm-hmm. um, being able to relate to one another and truly understand. Um, like, you know, I don't truly understand the experience of like a, a mom of a child that has like a disability or, you know, right. special needs necessarily. Mm-hmm. But um, I understand, you know, the aspect of parenting in the day in and day out and the sacrifices and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of some of the signs that we can watch for, so those were kind of up until, did we do up until around 12 months? Were there Mm -hmm. other kind of common things or things to be mindful of or red flags? Mm, Yeah, I think we got up to two years old because we were talking about combining words, right? And then I think, yeah. And then, so from two to three years, we want to look for another thing that can kind of pop up is, are they able to use language to interact well with other kids. Like we'll sometimes see kids that can talk, but they're not able to use language to interact well with other people, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So if you're seeing that like in the preschool years, that's something a speech pathologist can provide support with as well. And um, let's see, anything else? Yeah, that's really interesting, actually, because we get a lot of children in um, who might have some, whether it's like a stutter or some hesitation or anxiety around speaking to friends or maybe just some delayed speech in general, and they will turn to their parent to speak for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we often will have to work with like parents on their anxiety and kind of allowing them to like leave some space for their child to try it and to, you know, just allow some space for that rather than kind of filling in or or doing some of it for them as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they can kind of get that practice. And yeah, that's a big part of our job too, is kind of that parent coaching and yeah, because yeah, speech therapy is usually like maybe one hour a week, but parents are with their kids so much more. So that's Mm -hmm. a big thing too. Mm -hmm. So you had mentioned earlier in the interview that early intervention and really catching on to the signs and and red flags early is important. Can you help us understand why and kind of how that can play out? Yeah, absolutely. So kids, their language development happens so rapidly. So basically by five years old, they are speaking like many little mini adults, right? They mm. they are speaking in full sentences. They're having conversations. Their vocabulary is up to thousands of words. So if we early intervention is so important because of that 
rapid pace and because the brain develops the quickest in the early years of life. So we want to be giving them the support during this time of rapid brain growth. Mm -hmm. And when kids, um, when kids aren't developed, most kids will develop talking on their own without, you know, the parents intervening in any way. Basically, if you provide an environment where there's lots of talking, it will happen naturally. If that's not happening naturally, that's where the speech therapy can help, you know, work on specific targets that are going to help move the child through the milestones and help get them to the point to where they need to be. Hmm. And, you know, speech and language delays can have lifelong impacts on kids because these are the foundational skills for reading and writing, right? Communication, those are just written forms of, of language. So that's why we do our best to give kids and families the most support in the early years. Um, it's interesting to me because I know I hear from moms a lot, especially moms who've gone through like really significant postpartum or anxiety or something that's kind of been debilitating for them in the early years of baby. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, it, 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 they talk about it as if it's like robbed their experience with their young Mm -hmm. one. Right. And and what I'm hearing you say is if we recognize these signs and get interventions in place early enough that we can help to catch our child up and, you know, get them back to speaking at their milestones and their developmental level. Yes. I mean, we don't always know the cause, right? So maybe in that situation, you have a mother, maybe she was um, experiencing this very challenging time with her own mental health, and she wasn't able to maybe provide some of those early, you know, interactions and talking that we were speaking about before. Mm -hmm. But some kids are just going to be an underlying like genetic component, oftentimes that we don't know why it's just they're going to have challenges in this area. So I often speak about, I don't want moms blaming themselves, you know, Mm. because even parents, even, sorry, even children of speech language pathologists who are highly trained in this area have kids that are going to need speech therapy. That's a very important message for people to understand. So I hate when I, I don't hate, I don't want moms to feel guilt around this area. Yeah. Um, because we're all doing the best we can. And yeah. it is so true. Like your own mental health is priority over everything. So maybe you're working on getting yourself healthy mentally. Like that's going to be more important because you need that first before you can do anything else. So, yeah. And the message being that. Um, like for moms who have experienced that and like might be listening and thinking like, oh, I didn't have the energy or the motivation to read to my child enough or things like that, mm-hmm. that um, our our children are resilient and we can yes. start to bond with our baby today. You know, it's not that um, if they miss one milestone type of thing, like it's it's going to be a write-off for them or something like that. Like no. you had said, it's important to note that like obviously there are children who have underlying sort of genetic or behavioral learning challenges that might yes. impact their speech and language. Mm-hmm. Um, but for for the moms who are listening and who feel like they were robbed of maybe some of those enjoyable cooing, cuddling times because they just weren't really feeling it, you know, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. you can start cuddling up and reading books even now that you're feeling better or start to do it even if you're not necessarily feeling it, doing it as a, as a practice. And if that's something that you can, you know, work in, Mm -hmm. um, and that it's never too late to start bonding with your baby and that will just, you know, bring so much connection and support with them. Yes, 100%, 100%. And yeah, if there's, you know, moms listening with kids with special needs too, same thing, like you're doing a good job. This isn't like we're doing the best we can, right? It's yeah. It's not their fault. Yeah, it's interesting. Like you said that um, 
and maybe you've had a lot more of those conversations like behind closed doors of just like moms feeling guilty and blaming themselves for Mm -hmm. the challenges that, that they're encountering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I hear a lot of moms saying like, Oh, I didn't really read that much to my, you know, baby or my second baby or whatever it may be. And I totally agree with you. Kids are very resilient and it's never too late to start. And one really nice thing about language development is, you know, there's no special thing. Like the most important thing is just talking to the child. There's no, like you see a lot on Instagram. I mean, I don't know who people are following, but like all these crafts and like elaborate activities, like honestly, the most important thing for like their brain development is simply talking to them. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when moms have the capacity, but like talking through a diaper change, that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And and it's like, I talk about it on the podcast a lot, like momming in 2020 is a whole other beast, you know, like I feel like I have to be a kindergarten teacher to (laughs) service my child's learning needs that are, you know, that's, he's four years old. And then I feel like I need to be a pediatrician and I need to be all the things. And it's like, it's just not in, in an information age where we are just so overstimulated and over educated on a lot of these things. Um, you are one person. You cannot be all things yes. to all people all of the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, essentially, yeah, you're doing a really good job. And the fact that you're investing in learning about the things like even this podcast shows how much you really are, you know, in tune with and, and caring for for your babe. Yeah, I couldn't agree okay. more. Yeah. So I know we just talked about this whole, um, all the things that people do on like Pinterest and Instagram and things. Are there Mm. things that moms could be doing at home? So talking very fundamentally sounds like the best thing. Um, reading, if there's time to build that into the routine, I see Mm -hmm. you do all kinds of cool things in your stories. And I'm like, man, this is a whole, you were doing, you were teaching some sign language yesterday. I think it was in your stories. Mm -hmm. Um, and you were teaching, like I see you do a lot of like helping children with pronouncing different things. So are there some things that moms can be practicing at home? You know, honestly, the the most important things are talking, singing, and reading. Like in singing, like, you know, that is a good thing for building preliteracy. I know a lot of people, it's not their thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even singing like little songs like Wheels on the Bus, things like that are known to help um, to promote and encourage like language and early literacy development. Um, so those are kind of the three main ones. And then like, as far as specifics, if your child's having difficulty speaking, the best thing you can do is see a speech therapist and get kind of individual support around that there. It's hard for me to kind of suggest one thing because there's such a variety of speech language and communication delays, but yeah, yeah, reading, reading and talking are, are great. Yeah. And like, I've seen that in your stories when you've done like Q and A's and stuff that people will say, oh, my child is having, you know, challenges saying the TH sound, for example, or things Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, And you'll give them specific strategies or sort of things that they can practice at home. So Mm -hmm. is that another indication that, um, like, would that be more in the school age if we're having trouble formulating certain sounds? Would that be another sort of red flag? Um, yes. So there's a whole, just like other areas of, of a child's development, there is a progression in which the speech sounds develop. And again, as like a typical parent, you don't really need to be aware of the ins and outs of this. Mm-hmm. Like just knowing that at first they're not going to say all the sounds correctly, but if they get to be like three and other people aren't understanding what they're saying, um, then they can get support for that even much before school age because it that again is something we want to help kids with early before they start reading because your four-year-old is probably learning like letters make certain sounds right mm-hmm. but if they can't if they can't say that in their own speech they're not going to get it for reading so mm-hmm. then it bleeds over into that um so that's interesting yeah Um, Yeah, it's so funny. We sent him to school and he came home and I'm like hearing him in his bed, like before bed. And he's going like, like, I don't know, sounding out all the phonic sounds of the different. (laughs) It's really funny or how he's like sounding out words right now. He will like, 
R R like you know just, yeah. it's like oh okay that's how we're talking around the house these days just sounding out all the different like parts of the word it's so funny. yeah it's so cute yeah my four-year-old's doing the same the same thing right now and I can send um another link to a blog post that I have that like the age ranges for certain sounds and it talks about like what to do if you don't understand what your little one is saying because I know they get really frustrated so it kind of gives some practical tips about like you know, what you can do to kind of validate your hearing, what they're saying, you know, you're trying your best, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I love that. That would be so great. Um, yeah. Yeah. And having gone through that with my my middle son, as I said, like in retrospect, it took us a little bit of time to catch on with what was going on. But when we said like, you know, I'm, I, I want to understand, like I'm trying to like, what is it you want to tell me? And um, like really like tried to make him feel seen and heard. Then, mm-hmm. then the behavior kind of curved a little bit, and he he was trying to find other ways to help communicate and express to us. Um, so I love that. I think that would be so helpful. Yeah, sure. No yeah. problem. Yeah. So one of the other things uh, before we go and we uh, find out where you hang out online, so we can all go over and and stalk you and hang out, um, is we were talking uh, before hopping on recording about like if you notice a mom who is. Uh, concerned about her child's speech, or maybe mm-hmm. you're even concerned about like a like a niece or nephew's speech, or I don't know something like that. How we respond as like friends and support systems matters, right? Mm-hmm. I think that we don't want to, as moms, um, get too caught up on like all the little milestones. Like you were saying before, there's a range. So sometimes. Um, if we're noticing that our child is not meeting milestones and we go to a friend and we're kind of worried about it, or we have a friend that comes to us and is worried, I think it's really easy to just kind of tell our friends, oh, don't worry, they'll catch up. Because of course, we want to be supportive to our friend and we don't want to worry them. But I would love it if we have a mom friend that says that to us, if we could kind of say like, oh, yeah, that, that must be really hard, like understand and, and be there with your friend. But it doesn't, I would say to them, it doesn't hurt to just talk to your doctor, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. versus just kind of saying, oh, they'll catch up. I think that not all kids, some kids do need support, basically. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I think we, that's really important. And it's interesting, because I, I, I see this a lot with Um, working with parents and just, you know, in the work that I do is that our own anxiety in that situation, you know, Mm -hmm. plays a huge role in how we respond. So if my friend is saying to me, um, I don't know, like I, I had a friend and her child wasn't hitting like physical developmental milestones. It wasn't walking and, you know, and of course, um, at the time, regretfully, my response was, oh, like, I'm sure it will be fine. I'm sure it's no big deal, you know. Um, and and that child does have some challenges physically now and, and wore some braces and had to do some physio and had some things. And it's like, that's my own anxiety about not being able to meet that mom where she's at, you know, mm-hmm. like my own fear or discomfort or whatever of uh, the discomfort or pain or whatever comes up when I think about a child not being okay, you know, like mm-hmm. um, I want to just kind of like, oh, it's okay and and dismiss it and push past it. But if we're talking about connecting with our, our mom friends and like our tribe and our community and like people who, who really depend on us and need us to show up, it is important for us to just climb down into the pit with them if there's real legitimate concerns going on or to just be that voice that says, you know, it doesn't hurt to talk to the pediatrician about it at your next checkup and rule it out. Then you'll have peace of mind, you know, yes. like, um, yeah, that's it. You, yeah. That's like just mm-hmm. meet them where they're at, you know, mm-hmm. like just mm-hmm. meet them where they're at. We don't need to take the pain away. We don't need to tell them it will be okay. Sometimes, like they get devastating news and uh, heaven forbid, you know, that that doesn't happen, but sometimes it mm-hmm. does. And, and moms need friends who can like show up 
for them. And, and, you know, uh, we talk about it in like, so I was at a, um, a perinatal mental health training and we were talking about some really devastating stories that I'm not going to get into today, but it's like crawl down in the pit with mom and just be with her, you know? Um, and like, that's what we can do in showing up is just be that support, be there. We don't have to fix it. We don't have to take away their discomfort. We we are not going to take away their worry by belittling the comment, like, you know, by like minimizing what their concern is. We're mm-hmm. certainly not going to take that mom's worry away. So just mm-hmm. saying, you know, uh, yeah, like I hear you. I like we worry and maybe you can just ask the pediatrician and that'll, that'll help you with that. Or if you really are yeah. concerned, book an appointment with your doctor and I'm sure mm-hmm. they know, or ask your child's teacher. They see 26 different children every day. Like they may have a better baseline than I do to give you some advice on that or, you know. Yeah. 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 And even if that feels too direct, you, you could ask a question to like, Oh, have you thought about asking your doctor or, you know, like, just yeah. see what they say too. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard though. I totally get it. It's easier. I probably have done it myself. It's easy. It's definitely yeah. easier just to comfort your friend. Like, Oh, it's fine. But, yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I'm, I'm guilty oh. of that too. We've all yeah. done that. Yeah. You know, it's not, and depending on the day, I might have more space for it than on another day when I'm running low on, you know, um, sort of tolerance or space or whatever it is that I've got going on that day. Right. So, yeah, yeah. I am so grateful that you joined us today and I just think that you are so kind and warm. And if I had little ones, you know, that I had to go and trust with somebody, it would be you. You are so sweet. Um, can you tell us where you hang out online about your, your Instagram community, where we can find you if we want to hang out with you online? Sure. Yeah. My website is wetalkers.com. So it's W-E-E talkers. And if you're interested in um, having a little guide to speech and language milestones, you can find that there. And like my favorite books for babies, you can download that as well, book babies and toddlers. And I'm also on Instagram at wetalkers. And I teach two online courses for parents. They're like classes. They're not super long. It's like They're both like an hour long to give you what you need to know about supporting um, speech and language development for your baby and then for your toddler. And there's a bonus section on the late on the toddler one for parents of late talkers. So actually your son, if he wasn't really talking at 18 months, but understood everything, Mm -hmm. like it's, um, it's for parents in that similar situation, because Mm -hmm. like your son, he started talking and he caught up and a lot of them do, but some of them don't. So that can give parents some support during that time. Okay. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you again, Carly. Thank you for the work that you're doing. And we've so enjoyed having you on today. Thanks. Oh, thanks, Erica. Yeah, it's it's an honor to be here. I love talking with you too. And I could just continue on. (laughs) It's so fun. So (laughs) yeah, thanks. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. 